to John chapter 20. Uh, from chapter 13 until the, the time of his arrest, the, the Lord Jesus was one-on-one -on -one with the disciples. He was preparing them for his death and for his resurrection. Now they clearly didn't understand what he was trying to tell them, so when he was arrested, when he was put on trial, when he was beaten, when he was nailed to the cross, when he died, when he, when he was placed in the tomb, they were quite scared, dismayed, troubled, and understandably so. Now they, they should have understood what the Lord was teaching them, but they didn't. certain that any of us would have either. I'm just saying that they should have understood, and if we were there, we should have understood, but they didn't. So they were worried that after they had witnessed this, they were worried that they were going to be the next ones to be hung on that cross. Now, you remember that entire time of one-on-one -on -one teaching with the disciples, that time of preparing them for what was coming began in John 13. And it began with the statement from John that Jesus knew his hour was coming. Jesus knew he was about to die. He, he knew he was leaving this world. And John tells us that Jesus loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. He, he loved them, you know, he loved, loved them to perfection. He, he gave them what they needed to get from the cross on Friday to the resurrection on Sunday. Now, just a reminder, when, when we read this, we look at Scripture and we see this, and, uh, you know, we read John explain things like what Jesus meant when he said his hour was coming. When they were going through it, they didn't know that, right? They didn't know the end. They didn't know there was going to be a joyous ending to this story. They thought the Lord was dead. They thought everything they had done for the last three years of their life was at the minimum questionable, at the, you know, at the far end, kind of a waste. They thought they were going to be the next ones hung on a cross. And that's why when we find the disciples in the passage this morning, they're hiding out in a locked room. They are hoping that they will be safe from the Jews and the Romans. They are hoping that they will not be the next ones marched through the city carrying their cross on the way to be crucified. We, we need to remember, John wrote this book decades after the resurrection happened. Decades after all the other Gospels had been written. John is looking back and at this event, and as he's writing these things, he, he now understands what was going on when it happened. You know, if you ever thought back on a conversation, you know, maybe a conversation you've had and you didn't quite understand it at the moment, but then later you think back and, oh, now I understand why that person said this, or now I understand what was going on. You know, once, once you had all the information, what, was, what that was said, it made sense. 
Well, and that's what happens as John writes his gospel. At the time these things were taking place, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. But afterwards, as time had passed, they understood. Now, a big reason for their later understanding is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would teach them all things and bring to their remembrance all that Jesus said. So as they're thinking back on these things down the road, the Holy Spirit is helping them to remember it. He is helping them to understand it. So when John wrote his gospel, he included the things that they did not understand. And he gives us an explanation so that we can understand it. We, we see the disciples' fear of being killed along with Jesus, but we also have the privilege of knowing the full story. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. The, the disciples didn't know that when this was actually happening. So as we look at this, as we study this, we need to remember that the disciples were told what was going to happen, but they didn't fully understand what Jesus was saying. So as I said, we're going to look at John 20, verses 19 to uh, 23 this morning. So if you have your Bibles open, we'll, we'll go ahead and I'll read that. Uh, verse, John 20, verse 19. So when it was evening, on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage this morning, as we see the fear, the doubt, the amazement in the disciples as, as the Lord Jesus appeared to them. Lord, I just pray that we would we would not find in our lives, if, if we know the Lord, I pray that we would not find fear and doubt, but, but only amazement that we know him. Amazement that we can know him better amazement that the God of all things, the, the God of the universe, desires to have a relationship, a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with us. Lord, if, if any here do not know you, I, I pray that, that that fear of you would would enter into them now, that they would see a need for you as their Savior, that they would have that conviction 
that the Holy Spirit would do that work in their heart, and, and this very morning they would be gloriously saved. Amen. So this, this Sunday, not this Sunday, but the Sunday we're, we're looking at in John 20, has, has already been an eventful day for the disciples. Not just the 11 remaining disciples, but also several of Jesus' other disciples. As we've already learned, and we, we looked at this last week, the, the morning began with Mary Magdalene rushing to the tomb to prepare the Lord's body for burial. Mary, the mother of James, and, and Salome were also with her. There, there may have been others, but those were named. When the ladies arrived at the tomb, they found the stone already rolled away. To their dismay, the body was gone. Rightfully so, they, they presumed that grave robbers had taken it. Uh, Mary Magdalene left the tomb. She ran and found Peter and John, told them the body was gone, and so the two of them ran to the tomb and, and found that, yes, uh, just as Mary had said, the body was gone. Uh, they left. The other Mary and Salome left, and Mary Magdalene was left alone at the tomb where she became the first person to witness and speak to the risen Christ. Now Luke tells us in his gospel that Peter went back home. After the Lord appeared to Mary, Luke tells us the Lord appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he gave them a Bible lesson. That evening, the disciples met together and Jesus showed up. And that's, that's where we're at in our text this morning. The 11 disciples are locked in a room having a meeting and Jesus shows up. Now, why did the angels roll the stone away? The stone that was covering the tomb. Did they do it to let Jesus out? No, they, they did it to allow the disciples in. And Luke 24, after the Lord appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus, they urged him to stay with them because it was getting late in the day. So he went in to their house and was ready to break bread with them. And when he had blessed the bread and gave it to them, Luke tells us their eyes were opened. They immediately realized this is the Lord Jesus, and at that moment, Luke says, Jesus vanished from their sight. So after Jesus appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they, those two disciples went to the 11 disciples, or 10 at that point, and told them what had happened, and, and the disciples didn't believe him, or believe them. Mary Magdalene also went, told the disciples what she had seen, that she had talked to Jesus, that he is, he is risen. They didn't, didn't believe her either. How did Jesus get into the room that they were in? Yeah, John is deliberate to say they're in a locked room, and the, 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 the Greek word means a, it would be a barred room. This isn't just a little, you know, turn the little knob on the door and it's locked. This is like barred so no one can bust through the door locked. When the disciples who were on the road to Emmaus recognized him, he immediately vanished. 
You know, was, was Jesus some sort of uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost? You know, you remember that show? Casper the Friendly Ghost, the friendliest ghost of all. Right? Oh, was, was that what the, the risen Lord Jesus was? Was he, was he just a spirit? You know, walking through walls, talking to people who don't recognize him, suddenly poof, they recognize him and poof, he's gone. Passing through the grave clothes so that they remained where, where he had laid in the same form. You know, it's, uh, when it speaks of them seeing the grave clothes laying, lying there, it literally means they were, they were there. Where he was, they were, like he passed straight through them. It might kind of make you wonder if Jesus really had risen bodily from the dead. Did he have an actual body or was he just a spirit that took on the form of a body? And look, this is why I love how transparent the Bible is. You know, what do I mean by that? God inspired the Bible, and when he did, he didn't sugarcoat it, right? You, know, you might say it's in there warts and all. He, he, he didn't keep the stuff out that might cause someone to say, now hold on a minute, or, or the stuff that might cause someone to question the dedication of Peter, the, the faith of Thomas, or the actions of, of King David, and so when we read of Jesus, and he's obviously moving through space, he's moving through walls, he's, he's moving through grave clothes, we may think, well, he's just a spirit. No body, just the spirit. But the, the Bible makes it clear that is not the case. The, the, the two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus went and found the disciples and told, told the disciples Jesus was alive. They told him Jesus had visited them on the road. They told him he had been in their house with them and then suddenly he was gone. The disciples didn't believe it. They, these witnesses are saying, look, we saw him. Mary Magdalene saying, look, I saw him. And the disciples wouldn't believe it. But soon they would. So I want to I read from Luke 24 and see what happened next. And beginning with verse 33 of Luke 24, it says, They got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now, the they are the two, the two disciples the Lord saw on the road to Emmaus. So they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were there with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. 
So what do you see in here that proves that Jesus is not just a spirit? Well, one, it says he isn't, but I, I, I just love this. The Lord suddenly appears in this room. This room that had a barred door, right? The door is bolted shut. You know, he, he didn't come through a window, right? The janitor didn't let him in. He's suddenly inside this room. Somehow he, he passed through the wall. In Luke 24, he says, look at my hands and feet, that it is I. What's he saying? He's saying, look at the holes from the nails. He's saying, look, it is me. You know, what's identifiable? There, there's the holes. They're, they're probably thinking, no, this must be an imposter. You know, this can't be Jesus. We saw him die. There's no way, so he verifies it's him. Then they must have thought, okay, fine, it's him, but he's just a spirit. You know, we're seeing the spirit of, of the Lord, and he says, no, no, touch. You know, touch me and see. I have flesh and bones. And they, they still couldn't believe it, this time because of their amazement. And then, and I love this, verse 41. He says, hey, you got anything to eat? You know, I'm hungry. Do you have something to eat? Yeah, that's something I would say. <laughs> they give him a piece of fish and he eats it in front of them. I believe he did this to prove that, yes, I have a real body. He ate food. He had a body that could digest food. You know, it wasn't like on, on the shows where you see, you know, this, this ghost take a drink of water and it just falls to the floor. You know, it kind of goes down through the rib cage and falls to the floor because there's no body there. You know, Jesus has a real body. And as a reminder, he ascended to heaven in that body. One of the reasons he can make intercession for us forever and be our eternal high priest, as, as Hebrew refers to him as, is because he remains totally man and totally God, even in heaven. So Luke 24 and John 20 dovetail one another, the, the two passages. They, they have some overlap, but where Luke lets off, John picks up. And we learn that on the, on the very first visit, Thomas was not there. And apparently the other ten were because no one else is mentioned as, as being absent. But the Lord enters the room. The first thing out of his mouth is, peace be with you. God can read hearts. God can read minds. Nothing is hidden from him. He knew exactly what they were thinking. He knew they didn't believe the reports that he had risen from the dead. He knew they didn't understand what he had taught them about his death and resurrection. He knew they were frightened. So he says, peace be with you. Be at peace. Be still and know that I am God. You know, John doesn't record it, but Luke tells us they were frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. You know, they think they're seeing things. Jesus says, peace be with you, and they think they're seeing a ghost. Again, you know, a second time he says, peace be with you, and this time he commissions them. Verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. What did Jesus say over and over? I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of my Father. 
He said, I was sent to do the will of my father. I was sent to seek, the save, to seek and save the lost. And, and now he sends, uh, says to the disciples, I'm sending you to do the same thing. Then the Lord does something that I think has been misunderstood by some. And, and what he says here has been abused by some church leaders to honestly control church members. It's been used by some to try to steal authority from God, you know, to steal authority that they do not have. He, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sin, sins of any, they have been retained. Now, people in certain certain religious persuasions take that statement and use it to tell their members that, look, you need to confess your sin to me in order for that sin to be forgiven. The, the only way to be forgiven is to confess to them and then be given some work to do in order to receive forgiveness. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying you need a uh, priest, he's not saying you need a pastor to be forgiven. I cannot forgive your sins. Our sins were placed on Jesus at the cross. He died so that sin could be forgiven. And look, that means his death accomplished something. His death wasn't potential. His death didn't potentially accomplish something for some people who might believe in him. It actually accomplished something for those who will believe in him. As he hung on the cross, he knew he, who he was dying for. Even as he hung on the cross, he, he pleaded with the Father, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It wasn't just for the people crucifying him. That was for us also. That was for all who will believe in him. It was a plea to the Father to forgive all who will repent and trust in his death on the cross as the full and final payment for their sin. You know, in the, in the book of Hebrews, we, we read that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Again, because he is 100% man and 100% God, he is the only person who can mediate between man and God. He can relate to us since he's man, and he can plead with God because he's God. No other person can say that. You know, Jesus' mother Mary can't do that. A priest, a pastor can't do that. Only Jesus. So, so what does he mean when he tells the disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins, they have been retained. Well, first we need to notice that it's in the direct context of him breathing on them and telling them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, commentators are a little mixed on what this means, but many, and, and I, many believe, and I, I agree, that this is a giving of the Holy Spirit to the disciples until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit will be given permanently. That it's sort of meant to, to get them through this, this first portion of, of the early, really the early birth of the church. 
And remember, Jesus hadn't sent the Holy Spirit yet. He promised he would, but that has not happened yet. Uh, th that happens on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, you know, at this point, hasn't been sent to indwell believers. So the Lord gives them the Holy Spirit because they need it. Again, back to Luke, he tells, uh, Luke tells us that the Lord opened their mind to understand the scriptures. You know, he wasn't going to be with them continuously. He is commissioning them. And John, we saw, he just commissioned them to go out and preach the good news of his death and resurrection to the world. They needed the Holy Spirit to be with them when Jesus would not be. Now, now today, all believers possess the Holy Spirit. If, if, if you are gloriously saved through the finished death of Jesus Christ on the cross, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. He ministers to us. One of the things we receive from the Holy Spirit is spiritual discernment. You know, think about this. In John 20, we are looking at the foundation of the modern church, right? You know, the, the church isn't founded until, until Pentecost, but these are the men that he uses to do it. These are the first church elders, and they're going to have a church planning mission like no church planning mission since then. In the early church, we read of the book, we read in the book of Acts that there were thousands added to the church. The disciples needed discernment to be able to listen to a testimony and make a judgment on whether a person was saved, make a judgment on whether someone's sins were forgiven or if they were not saved and their sins had not been forgiven. Acts 10.42, 10, uh, this is Peter speaking. He says, and he, Jesus, he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. You know what Peter's talking about there? He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one, right? In John 20, he ordered them to preach. That's what we're seeing. What are they ordered to do? And it's, look, it's not just them, it's us. And it's still us to this day. What are they and us ordered to do? Ordered by the Lord to testify that Jesus is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. Why should we do that? Because as Peter tells us, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, through Jesus' name, everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives forgiveness. So there's the forgiveness of sin. So, so what does Jesus mean when in John 20 he says that if we forgive the sins of any, that we are forgiven? 
And if we retain the sins of any, they are retained. He's telling us, call people to repentance. Call people to to repentance, to trust in the Lord, and forgiveness through that, through through belief in his finished work. And we are to listen to their testimonies. We are to look at their lives and determine if they can make that claim to know Christ. And we can say that if they have repented, they have trusted in Christ, then yes, their sins have been forgiven. And if they have not repented, if they have not trusted in Christ, we are commanded to call them to do that very thing, to repent and trust in Christ because their sins have not been forgiven. We are agreeing with what God says in his word. We're not proclaiming something for ourselves. We're agreeing with God. You know, this is one of the reasons we're, we're meeting after service today. You know, we're discussing, discussing the membership portion of the church constitution. By allowing someone to become a church member, we are doing this very thing that John is talking, or that the Lord is talking about in John 20. We're saying that according to your testimony, according to the witness of your life, you can become a member of this church because you're already in Christ's family. You're already a member of what is known as the invisible or the universal church. You're already a member of the body of Christ. And if a person doesn't believe, profess to believe in Christ, they can't be a member of this local church, but we are to call them to repent and trust in Christ because, again, they remain in their sin. So comes down to this. Which category do you fall into? Have you repented and asked God to forgive you of your sins because of what Jesus did? Or do you think you can work your way to heaven and earn God's favor? Do you, do you know that the only one who can forgive sin is God? And do you know that you need go through no one other than Jesus? You know, we talked in Sunday school this morning. We've talked several times. The veil was torn, right? When when Christ died on the cross, there was a huge earthquake. And the scripture tells us the veil was torn from top to bottom. This huge, thick veil torn from top to bottom. That, That veil separated the temple from the Holy of Holies. Because the only one priest once a year could enter the Holy of Holies. Because that was where God dwelled. And that one priest, as we've talked about, would have a rope tied around him when he entered into the Holy of Holies. Because if he went in there carrying any sin, God might and quite likely would strike him dead on the spot for bringing that sin before God. At that time, we couldn't go before God. We needed the priest to go in and make that atonement. That veil has been torn. We no longer need the priest. We no longer need someone else. We have the mediator. Well, I should say we still have a priest. We have a, Jesus is our high priest. He became the eternal high priest. You know, we, we no longer have a priest on earth that, that we have to go to. We go directly to God through Jesus. And if 
you don't know him yet, you can do that this very day. You can come up and talk to me about it, but I can't do anything about it. It's between you and him. I can pray with you. I can show you scripture. But I can't do it for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an incredible truth it is to think that the veil between us and you was torn and that now, instead of an impassable veil between us and you, we have the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible truth it is that, that he rose from the dead because it is through that resurrection that we know that the sacrifice was accepted. Lord, we are so thankful for that. Amen. Okay, if you want to stand, and we're going to turn to number 174. I will bless thee, O Lord.